Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we jump into conversation with our guests today, we want to thank the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for sponsoring this episode. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Level College desire for women to be theologically grounded servants of Jesus who abide in the Word. Their heart is to help women answer God's call to ministry leadership. If that sounds like you, then today visit prepareher.com. Thank you so much, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Before we jump into today's episode, we want to let you know that this conversation was so jam-packed full of amazing content that we actually had to break it up into two episodes. So you are currently listening to part one of our conversation with Elise Fitzpatrick and Eric Shoemaker, and make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss part two coming out next week. Welcome, listeners. I'm so excited for who we have, Courtney, today. We have Eric Shoemaker and Elise Fitzpatrick, the authors of the book Worthy. We're so excited to talk with them. Elise Fitzpatrick is a sought-after speaker and author of 25 books um, in print right now, which is so exciting, including, obviously, Worthy, that she co-authored with Eric. She holds a certificate in biblical counseling from Christian Counseling and Education Foundation in San Diego and a Master's of Arts in Biblical Counseling from Trinity Theological Seminary. Elise has been married for over 40 years and has three adult children and six really adorable grandchildren um, and lives with her husband, Phil, in California, and they attend Grace Bible Church. Also, Elise does a hilarious podcast, which I've had the privilege of being on, and I love it. It's the best. Awesome. So we have Elise and we also have Eric. Let me tell you guys about Eric. Eric Shoemaker is a pastor, a songwriter, and an author. He earned a Master of Divinity in Biblical and Theological Studies from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary also my alma mater. Eric and his wife, Jenny, have five kids. They live in Iowa. And besides writing Worthy with Elise, he also has a beautiful novella called My Last Name. And his he and Elise have written a new book called Jesus and Gender, and it is set to release in April of 2022. We are just like literally have it on our calendar waiting for this book to come out. And the two of these guys actually host a, co-host a podcast together called The Worthy Podcast, which I totally wholeheartedly recommend to you guys. It's been such an encouragement to me. So welcome, you two. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. it's great to be here. So fun. Well, one of the things we ask all of our listeners is just a set of three questions. Um, we kind of try to try to get through these quickly. We call them rapid fire. So we're going to um, kind of go back and forth. You guys are our first uh, duo. We, we've only we've never had a. So this is the most people that's ever been on this podcast. So um, grateful. So our first question is for you, Elise. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, thank you. Um, I can remember lining up my dolls and teaching them 
But mostly what my teaching was, was screaming at them and then throwing them against the wall and stuff like that. So I, I guess, I guess I sort of wanted to be a person who told everybody what it, what to do. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> Uh, the visual the visual mental visual on that was really great like (laughs) fabulous okay eric we're gonna jump to you now after that all right eric what was your very first job i think my first paid job was detasseling corn for five dollars an hour because you live in iowa yes yeah Um, made a lot of corn i I don't know what detasseling is Okay, so when they want to make a hybrid corn, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how much you want to get into the birds and the bees and the corn here, okay. but they Not plant too much. so many so many rows of what they would call the female corn, and okay. then one row of the male corn, and that is going to pollinate the other rows so that you get a crossbreed between two types of corn. So you have to go through the female rows and take off the tassels before they open up and spread pollen. And so you are just walking through a cornfield, pulling these tassels out of the top of the corn. And it is the worst work in the world because you have to go out early in the morning so you you don't rust in the sun. And corn leaves will cut your arms up and any skin they find. So you have to wear long sleeve shirts. And so, of course, the cornfield is full of dew in the morning. And so your jeans and your shirt are sopping wet and the ground is muddy. And you have to walk about a half mile between corn rows trying to pull these things out. And I hated it. Yeah, it was awful. Five dollars an hour. Ten years old, that was big money. Oh, ten years old, absolutely. Okay, you that was hard work. Ten minutes into the work, and then I was like, "No, (laughs) that was the character building grunt work that we we do as kids." I like it. I like it. Okay, yeah, I'm a character now. Okay, (laughs) I this question I'm posing to Elise, but Eric, I would like you to answer it as well. So, start with you, Elise. What kind of work do you want to be doing when you're 80 years old? Well, you're making an assumption there. <laughs> what are your plans for next year, Lee? Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> it's not that far off. <laughs> I guess we want to line up all the little dolls <laughs> yell at them and tell them what to do. <laughs> uh, live cam uh, at the nursing home. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, push, push the message forward. That's great. <laughs> what about you, Eric? Wow, I, I don't know if I can top that. So that was <laughs> that was both hilarious and a Jesus juke. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, so now do better. Yeah, I I guess I I um I would like to still be writing, still be yeah. writing books. Um, yeah, that's good. So. He's very creative and and his writing is quite beautiful. And so I can see him doing this as actually as a career. So I just I want to write one more book than Elise does. (laughs) You need to get on that. (laughs) That's awesome. 
Okay, well, before we kind of jump into questions about work, I thought it would just be interesting to hear about your own work. Um, and so, Elise, I showed you guys before we uh, started recording, I just have a whole stack of books um, that of yours, you've been a huge influence in my life, and I'm so honored for you to be here today. And so, I learned about you through biblical counseling classes. And so a lot of your books were our uh, required reading. And I thank God for that. So do you still counsel today or take us back to how the Lord even led you to become a counselor? And then how did that transition possibly into writing books? I'm having a hard time getting getting off of my original opening thought of lining up dollies and telling them what to do. So <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Now that was a great visual. <laughs> um, I do not. I do very little counseling now. Um, it, it, if certain people ask me, I'll spend time counseling with them. But otherwise, I don't do a lot of counseling now, primarily because I find it, at least for me personally, exhausting. And um, so I don't do I don't do a lot of counseling. I started counseling. I found myself uh, always being asked by people uh, what they should do in a certain situation or they were struggling in their faith or they whatever they had a, a bad relationship and they didn't know what to do. And so because I always found myself in that situation, I thought, well, perhaps, and this was, I want to say I was maybe 35 or so. Um, I decided, well, maybe I should get training in counseling. And then my pastor at the time told me, uh, you really should get trained in biblical counseling. And if you do, we'll use you here at the church. So that's how I, that's how I got going there. And then at the point that I was, um, at the point that I was getting my training, there were no books written by women in biblical counseling. It it was a completely male, uh, situation Mm -hmm. and, and context. And so when I, when I decided, Oh, maybe I should say something for women who want to do counseling. That's when I wrote Women Helping Women, along with a number of other women. It was a collaboration. And that sort of started me on that journey. Okay. That's awesome. Wow. Wow. And just I just think about the years of experience that you've shared shared with so many people like Courtney having read so many of your books. It's just it's a blessing to so many. So Eric, you serve as a pastor. Um, how did you, it seems silly to ask, how did you become invested in this conversation <laughs> in caring for women um, or valuing women because you're a pastor? It seems like that should be a natural thing. Um, and so I'm not implying that it's not. But when, when we think of you writing a book like this and Jesus and gender, serving as a pastor, how did those two things come together for you? Yeah, it's, I think that's a great question um, because oftentimes it's assumed that an interest in women, women's ministry is a woman's thing. And men do, you know, pastors, male pastors do men's ministry and, right. uh, you know, pay attention to those things. So I think it really came out of my own experience as a pastor, uh, went through a pretty tough period of church conflict mm. where I felt like I wasn't being listened to. I wasn't being protected. I wasn't being heard. You know, it was unjust. 
And that, I think it was the first time in my life that I really felt like I had an extended experience uh, like that. And mm-hmm. uh, things turned around to the church, but I ended up um, after that, um, it was just burnt out, depressed, discouraged, anxious, ended up uh, resigning just to step into outside of pastoral work for a bit. Um, and so I did something else for a year. And in in that time, you know, I really wanted to listen to the people, uh, the voices of people, their stories who had suffered mistreatment and were often overlooked. And so, you know, in my youth, there were a lot of news stories that I would think naturally, oh, they're just overblowing that. They're just making a big story out of that. And it was in that time in the year off where um, Eric Garner was killed. And I remember that video being published and I'd never watched one of those videos before. And I decided I I need to watch this. And I watched it and I was like, this is awful. Like there's no excuse for what just happened here. And it made me start listening to more of those stories. And, um, and then as the Me Too movement started, that was another thing I think in my youth I would have just thrown away as, you know, just some feminist thing and uh, political agendas or whatever. And I just decided I need to start listening to these stories and not be responding to them, just listening to them and doing what I can to to highlight those voices. And then also as a pastor, um, just to use my voice to support those women. And then especially as it moved into the church two circles and we're looking at stories in the church and then in the SBC, um, I just felt a real responsibility to learn and to speak where I could and so, um, and you know, I just started listening to women in my church and asking women, hey, would you be willing to talk to me about your experience as a woman uh, in the church in general and in our church? And, you know, there were women who had great experiences and women who told me things that I was really surprised at. And the more I had those conversations and the more I spoke in a way that I think reflected um, that I would be willing to listen and understand, um, be safe. Then I started hearing from just more and more women. And so that just naturally grew. And then, uh, as Elise and I wrote the book and started the podcast, you know, it's just like my eyes have been opened, uh, even more, you know, I, I don't see myself writing worthy or doing the podcast because, I, when we started that, or even now, because I was some kind of expert who knew all this stuff about valuing women, Mm -hmm. for me, it's all been education. Like, this is how I've been learning. And so it's been a great experience. Wow. We're grateful. Yeah, we really, I mean, I feel like, you know, I follow you on Twitter and just, honestly, Twitter is not my favorite social media platform. That's why I hardly ever tweet, but I feel, you know, you do stay informed. And so I just, as a woman have so appreciated you as a, as a pastor and as a man really coming and just valuing women. It just sounds, uh, that just that statement sounds so small, but it really means so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you guys began writing the book worthy, at least what were you seeing? I mean, Eric, you kind of hinted, touched on this a tiny bit, but what were you seeing in Christian culture that made you realize, wow, no, we actually, there, there needs to be more discussion, more, um, a, a resource to just show the biblical foundation of why women are valuable. At least what were you seeing there? 
Yeah, thank you. And um, I think, again, pretty much following Eric's trajectory, um, I started understanding things about racism, racism even in Southern California that I had never really understood before. And then also, um, as, as a woman in the church, uh, I've been a Christian for 50 years, and I have been in different churches, some of them more welcoming than others, but I, I felt myself um, wanting to push back against the uh, second-class citizen sort of thought that I was, um, yeah, women are good, but, you know, they're, they're not really necessary to the mission. And the number of sermons, you know, that I've heard that uh, paint women in, I mean, nobody would come out and say women are great, but they're not necessary for the mission. But, of course. But really wanting to come back and say, look at the way that women are treated as nice but not necessary, or maybe not even nice. Um, the three things that I had heard my entire Christian life, which is, Women are more easily deceived. Women uh, will always want to be usurpers. And women are dangerous. They're, seductri they're seductresses. Those three things that I had heard, that's almost, I mean, it's just ubiquitous in, um, in Christendom, I think, in some, in some areas of Christendom. And I, and I wanted to push back against that. You know, one of the things that I really gained from this book, Worthy, um, it's been my experience that I had not ever heard a sermon on Eve that painted Eve in the light of a actual just person in a situation. You know what I'm saying? Who made it a bad decision, but not because they were this naturally horrible person who was acting in their horrible way, you know? And so I think that was one of the things that really was so enlightening to look at Eve as a woman. It just was, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. So can you share then, Eric, as we look forward to uh, Jesus and gender, what can we expect a little bit with that? Yeah, I'm. both Elise and I are really excited about this book. And what we wanted to do in this book was really start with a look at gender and gender relationships, beginning with the gospel. And, you know, if Jesus Christ is, and he is, the perfect human being, you know, he is the ideal for humanity in the flesh, then our lives and our relationships should be built off of him and who he is. And so often these discussions around gender begin with, and quite frankly, often stay on the question of who gets to be in charge and <laughs> who can do what and who can't do what. True. And there's so much more to being a human than the concepts of authority and submission, which get right. almost all of the attention. Right. And so we really wanted to do like a deep dive into the incarnation, into God taking on human flesh in Jesus Christ. And then from that, particularly from looking at uh, Philippians chapter two, you know, which expounds on 
what Christ did in humbling himself Mm -hmm. and serving others at a cost to himself, we wanted to do a deep dive into that and ask how should that inform and shape how we relate to each other as men and women? Sounds so good. (laughs) I love it. We can't wait. You know, we have a book club. You guys were our first um, book club authors to come on with with Worthy, and mm-hmm. oh my goodness, we got a pencil. We got it. We got to We got to get this on the calendar, people. <laughs> All right, we're totally looking forward to that. I'm so grateful for y'all's work and the time involved in thinking through these things that are so so helpful to life. Um, so in Worthy, Eric. This question's coming to you, but <laughs> I feel like it's probably an unfair question, but because it's so broad and worthy, you really remind readers of just the significance of women in just the overall story of redemption. You know, as Mitchie, Missy uh, mentioned, all the way from Eve through the, the Old Testament women, through the women in uh, Jesus's day. I mean, for people who have not read the book, and we... We're going to provide the link, of course, for them to, to purchase it. Um, it's such a vision for women to just find their place in redemptive, in the story. Um, can you just briefly, if it's possible, because you wrote a whole book on this, if there's, if it's possible to just summarize um, the value of women in redemption, what would you say? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And for those that are unfamiliar with Worthy, what Elise and I did is we basically walked through the whole storyline of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, you know, creation, fall, promise, various aspects of Israel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the church, a new creation. And we looked at just what the Bible has to say about the role that women play in each of those stages of redemption and how it presents them and values them. And, you know, Elise mentioned that often women are presented as nice, uh, but not necessary. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even in the church, you might get lip service that women are great and we really value uh, women, but you kind of get the feeling that they're not necessary. You know, they're Mm -hmm. like fine China that you put on display and then you, (laughs) you bring out, you know, to show off to the company. Right. um, Once a year. They're not really all that, all that necessary. And that is not the picture we get at all in the Bible because, you know, the first thing that God says about, creation that is not good is that it's not good for the man to be alone. It is uh, utterly and absolutely not good for the man to be alone. He cannot fulfill the creation mandate, both to fill the earth and exercise dominion over it apart from her. Mm -hmm. And so even if you don't think she's nice, she is absolutely necessary. (laughs) Like you can't do the job without her, um, it's so it's impossible weird. to do. And even when the promise is given after the fall, the Lord says that it is the seed of the woman that is going to crush the serpent's head. Mm. Uh, that seed will be a male, uh, a man who comes to be the king, but he is of her. And so even in that promise, we have this uh, woman and this man uh, in, in this promise. And we see this played out throughout the Bible. And so, you know, we're looking for this son to be born who will be the serpent crusher. 
all through the Old Testament. That's why there's so much attention to paid to who is whose father and right. what sons this woman had. And there are times where reading from hindsight, the Israelites know, oh, this is the line of Christ and Tamar is not going to be given a husband or Ruth, like, where's this baby going to come from? And it's bold, courageous, faith-filled women who step up and and do things that are often unexpected, and they really rescue the line of the Messiah. Uh, and oftentimes it's in the, in the face of complacent and disobedient uh, men in their sin. Not always, but but often. And then, uh, so you see that partnership that the the Messiah actually couldn't arrive apart from men and women throughout this whole story. But that doesn't end when he arrives, because we see through the whole New Testament, these partnerships between men and women. And, you know, Paul gets his Macedonian call and he's, you know, a man in a vision saying, come help us. And he shows up there and he doesn't meet a man. He meets Lydia and uh, the women working with her. And she becomes this key partner in spreading the gospel into Europe. And Paul can speak of women as those who contended for the gospel with him, uh, not behind him, not following him, but they contended, you know, Euodia and Syntyche, they contended with him side by side. Mm. And that contending mm. is a fight for the gospel to advance. They are they're warriors and allies uh, on the mission field, fighting the good fight side by side. And that's how God intend, intended to, to bring redemption through Christ's arrival. And that's how he intends to spread redemption through the proclamation of that gospel. Hmm. Wow. Um, I'm listening. I'm, I'm, I'm like it's just is so beautiful to know that this is not just lip service. That God had an actual plan, right? This is not right. just something that we have to create and dig up. That it's there for us. That's so beautiful. Thank you. So, Elise, you know the way you and I met was that I our team at, here at Southeastern read some books, at, read your book, and then we did a book club, and you came in, and the conversation that that sparked was just so rich. And it just reminds me of how necessary this conversation is. So in your experience, and now that you've written this, what would you say, how does this play out in the everyday lives of women and applying the gospel to their lives and applying the gospel to their work? Yeah, you know, one of the things that, thank you, Missy, one of the things that I've noticed is as we've talked with women on the Worthy podcast, and I will frequently tell them the ways in which I am thankful for their life. I'm proud of them. I'm thankful for the work they're doing. So many of them just start crying. And the reason wow. is that I think that women um, very rarely hear how important the work is that they're doing how much the Lord values them, um, how significant they are. And, um, and I, I, I mean, I can tell you, I, I was just talking yesterday with a very high profile woman who, um, who's taken a lot of heat 
mm-hmm. from um, from people who didn't like her message that w- women have value. And when I talked to her, she was just overcome. And I told her, the Lord is proud of you. The, the work you're doing is good and it's important. And you are brave. And I thanked her. See, mm-hmm. that, when you start, when basically you ignore and denigrate the women in Scripture, so, for instance, somebody like Deborah, mm-hmm. you know, how many times have I heard that the only reason Deborah was a leader in Israel was because, you know, it was apostate. Well, thank right. you. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. It's like the only, the only way in the world the Lord could use a woman as a leader is because nobody else was available. Right. right. Um, <laughs> so women need to hear this message and it's really missy it's a message of the gospel mm-hmm. because the gospel says that women as well as men are created in the image of god and they have intrinsic value and they also have a call and the mm-hmm. call on their life that they have is no longer uh, so much the great commission to go out and produce biological Uh, excuse me, no longer the creation mandate to go out and produce biological children, but rather to partner with uh, brothers and sisters in the church in the Great Commission. Mm. But if we say to women, your voice isn't necessary, and as a matter of fact, if you have a strong opinion, it's probably because you're trying to usurp somebody else's place. Mm. Um. Or if you feel like you're called to a certain mission, uh, it's because you're trying to push yourself forward. That's right. Um, one of the things, and then I'll stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> one of the things that we've, we've heard so much is men, when they feel a call to vocational ministry, you know, they get this inward call. And then they, but then they get this outward affirmation. Mm-hmm. So you feel this inward call, and then, and then your brothers around you tell you, "Yes, I see that in you," or "No, I don't." Mm-hmm. Women, on the other hand, may have this inward call, but who are the men who are around them right. who are saying, "Yes, I, I affirm that." I was talking not long ago with Nancy Guthrie. We were actually in in a room with some uh, people, and Nancy, yes, she is. And Nancy said that the reason she's doing what she's doing today was because decades ago, a pastor said to her, I see that you have gifts and callings. You really should use them. Wow. Right. Wow. I mean, I I, I know. How is that something that I'm having to say? Sure. Because, again, we're going to get back to the, well, if men tell women that they see they have gifts and callings, well, you know, women are easily deceived. Women are usurpers. Women are seductresses. You really shouldn't have that kind of relationship with a woman who's not your wife. And I got a major problem with that. Right. 
I mean, we really need that. I saw um, on Twitter, you kind of posted about this um, not too long ago. And I so resonated with this because it is so, you, you feel like as a woman, when you step out into a work that you feel God has called you to, you're already feeling like you're pushing up against something, right? And you sense that I don't have it in me to do this. This has to be of the Lord. And so all of the encouragement when people believe in you and believe, no, God has gifted you to do this. It just gives so much wind in your sails. And then for, and then to have men that you respect and admire um, to come behind you and support you in it, it just, it just means so, so much. Um, So that's why we appreciate you, Eric, so much. (laughs) So our next question is really to, Either both of you or either of you, which, whether, whichever one of you would like to answer. Um, as we talk about women and work and calling and vocation, are there some typical problems you guys see women having to overcome? It could be actual problems, things that, wow, I just can't get past this hurdle to step into what God has called me to, or even just typical areas of unbelief that you see women um, struggling with. Hmm. You know, I, I think I think there's several things there and kind of to piggyback off of what Elise had just said is I think I think one problem that we face in certain segments of the church, not not in every church, but we have too narrow a definition of what calling is. Thank you. And then for callings, we often have a really reduced like pool of possibilities to what a woman can be called to. And and what I mean by that is we often think of calling vocation as merely something you do in the church, in the church assembly or in the church organization. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor, I can tell you that 95% of people's gifts are going to be exercised outside of the church as an organization, as an assembly, because you simply don't have space for everybody to be able to exercise those. And that's not how God's intended it. We're supposed to be using our gifts to serve each other and to serve this world. And so we, we too often tend to think of vocation and calling as something that involves the platform at the service or a volunteer or paid staff position at the church. Mm. And, you know, in my church, we've got, we have an intentionally reduced schedule. So people's lives aren't over busy with church stuff, two staff pastors and a secretary. Like there's just not a lot of positions there. And so, but, but when pastors tend to preach about your calling from God, they tend to speak in terms of, that kind of overt, direct spiritual ministry. Mm. And that can confuse people where, you know, I I have women in my church who work, um, one managed a convenience store and one works for Pew uh, Research. And all these sorts of things are people using their gifts to really bless the the world. And then I also think like when you think of the realm of calling, Uh, In some circles, like the only examples in illustrations or that are held up in front of the church for women are being a mom and being a wife 
And if you're single, you know, being a babysitter for your married friends who have kids. And, and so God hasn't called everybody to those tasks, which are great. And we celebrate, um, But how often do you hear the illustration of, say, you're a manager at work and um, and you speak of a woman in that position being a Mm -hmm. manager and how she's going to handle these things in regards to how uh, the principles of the gospel and that sort of thing. we, We if we pigeonhole women into certain vocations that's all they're going to ever think about as ministry and calling. And, um, and then I think when a woman is called, you know, is particularly gifted for a spiritual leadership and, uh, for caring for people's souls, um, immediately, I think the first place we go, and then it's often the last place we go is, man, you'd be a good fit for uh, women's ministry, which is a great thing. But I think one of the things that we need to realize is it's not good for a man to be alone. Mm. And, and and that that means the ministry of women isn't only to women. And mm-hmm. so there's all sorts of places in the church, like counseling, I don't think a woman's counseling ministry needs to be limited to only women. Um, and and this might be controversial, but I don't even think like discipleship needs to be her discipleship. Discipling needs to be limited to women because my sisters, I need my sisters to mm-hmm. speak into my life uh, on a spiritual level to help me understand myself, to help me understand Jesus to help me see my sin, that I need them to rebuke me, correct me, instruct me, all of those things. And the more that we separate our ministries into women work with the women and men work with the men, the more we have the men and the women being alone. And Mm -hmm. God's already told us that's not good. Um. So I'll stop there, lest I go into full-blown. No, it it really goes into what you were saying earlier, Elise, about the view of women. It's women are, are someone to be suspicious of. And so, you know, to have a woman, Eric, speak into your life and encourage you spiritually or, you know, it, it just won't happen. It's not going to happen when you're already viewing women with suspicion and keep a distance. Yeah. Right. And I think... I think some of the most powerful times that someone else has spoken into my life to show me a weakness or a sin, help me understand something better has, they've been when a woman, a woman has done it. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the men I'm closest to often, we think about things the same way. That's why we got to be friends. And that's why we naturally hang out. And we're naturally, I think, because of that, going to agree with each other's perspectives on things. And so a sister can do me a whole lot of good by having the courage to approach me and say, hey, can I talk to you about something? Yeah. It's a a huge blessing. Wow. This is um, 
this is really helpful conversation for just me personally, but just even as I minister to women who come into my office here at um, the seminary, one of the things that is a recurring theme those for these women is a thing we all heard of, imposter syndrome. Just the idea that they don't believe that even if they've been theologically trained or even if this is a thing that God has naturally gifted them for, they still lack this um, confidence in God's call on their lives. Um, so my question is, how do you, how do we try to kick out the idea of imposter syndrome and make it not a real thing that we're struggling with without going to the other extreme and saying, you know, you're the greatest thing that got, <laughs> like, you're the only you got person this. to do this job. And, <laughs> I mean, because I will say you got this, you can do this, but I won't act like and it can't be done without you. But I do think that, I mean, even I have struggled. Courtney and I have talked about this. I told Courtney, if they escorted me out my job today, I'd been like, great run, guys. I didn't do anything to earn it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yet we still want to find a biblical balance to calling and ability Wow, we really hate to pause the conversation right here, friends, but we are not done. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Elise and Eric. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at womenwork.net for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, we'd be honored for you to partner with us financially. If this podcast or really any of the content Women in Work produces has been a source of inspiration and encouragement to you. Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all your donations are fully tax deductible. When the trials of life weigh us down, meditating on our great salvation helps restore our joy. This hope is the theme of the Gospel Coalition's 2022 Women's Conference, Remember Your Joy happening June 16th through 18th in Indianapolis. Speakers like Jackie Hill Perry, Jen Wilkin, and John Piper will help us consider how seven Old Testament stories point to our greater salvation in Christ and lead us to greater joy. Learn more about the conference and register soon at tgc.org slash tgcw22. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss another one, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so that more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.